Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Soul Path Podcast. The title of today's episode, How to Connect with Your True Self Using Centering Prayer, is really an invitation to join me, to take a deep dive with Rich Lewis, who is an author, he's a speaker, he's a personal coach. Rich is going to share with us some really powerful insights that he has gained from his own practice of the centering prayer. He's going to share about what that is exactly. We dig into things like fear, depression, faith, how we can cultivate a connection with God, how we can use uh, certain sacred methods to enhance our own experience and connection with the divine. This is just a lot of juicy stuff. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Hello. How are you? Or good morning to you, I guess. I guess it's afternoon in your part. Almost. One more minute. So. All right. Outstanding. Great to see you. I want to thank you for uh, sending through the book. It's just been a great read. I've really sincerely enjoyed it. So thank you for that. And uh, tons of tons of great content in that book. And I'm looking forward to digging in deeper in this conversation. So um, if you're ready to roll, I'm ready to roll. Are you, you feeling set? I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to go. All right. How's your week treating you so far? Busy, but good. Busy, but good. Yeah, it's good for and a minute. Busy. It is. No, you, you can't. You don't want to be bored. So, no, I'm definitely not bored. Work's keeping me busy. I work from home and it's definitely keeping me busy. So this is actually kind of a nice break from, from work right now. <laughs> awesome. awesome. Well, Rich Lewis, thank you so much for joining me here on the Soul Path podcast. Today, we are going to be diving in deep into the centering prayer and sitting in silence um, as sitting with God, as you title your book. Uh, but before we get started, I'd like to toss out a little icebreaker. I'm going to throw out three sentences. And if you feel uh, like finishing them in the flow, it's life is people are, I am. I serve that up to you. Life is meant to be enjoyed. What's the second sentence? I got a terrible memory. <laughs> people are, people are, Always nice. Awesome. And I am. I am happy to be here today. Awesome. Thank you, Rich, for uh, for taking a plunge with me to dig deep into the spiritual journey. And I have, like I said, I've been reading through the book and it's just it's really powerful. One of the one of the sentences that really struck me in the beginning of the book was that silence is not empty. It is filled with God. And I was wondering if you could speak to that, elaborate a little bit on what what that means to you. Um, I guess what it means to me is that that's one of the places I find God. I mean, we find God everywhere, but it's, it's the silence of centering prayer, which is a practice I've been doing um, since June of 2014, um, is where I find God um, and where I found a lot of healing and transformation. So for me, I guess the silence of centering prayer has been a wonderful practice for me that has healed and transformed me and helped me to become my true self, uh, the person God wants me to to become, which is a journey. It's not an endpoint, so it's a continuous journey. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's when I talk about the spiritual journey, that is precisely what I'm talking about. It's that process of it really, it's first self-discovery and then it's self-cultivation. It's a rediscovering ourselves. Each phase and stage of life is is kind of how I see that. I'm curious on your journey, if you care to share a little bit of background about what led you to the centering pair. How did you come to that point in life? Where were you at there? 
Sure. Um, well, prior to Centering Prayer, so I discovered Centering Prayer, and I'll, and I'll talk about how I got to there. Got to Centering Prayer. I discovered Centering Prayer in late 2013. So prior to that, I had always been attracted to silence. I just didn't know what to do in the silence. I had read books by a gentleman by the name of Carl McCullman, and he talked a lot about the power of silence and how transforming it was. But I don't remember him calling out a practice in his books. So I used to just sit in silence and try it. And it was brutal at the time because I didn't, I know it sounds funny to say this, I didn't know how to practice silence. I didn't know what to do in the silence. But then I was simply looking for a book to read in late 2013. And I stumbled across Amos Smith's book, uh, Healing the Divide, Recovering Christianity's Mystic Roots. And one of the things in his books he talked about was centering prayer, which was a practice that he had been doing, I think, for at least 15 years or so up to that point. And it was his silent prayer, uh, wordless prayer meditation. So that immediately intrigued me um, because I found a practice that I could do in the silence. So I learned how to do it with his book. And then I began reading other books on centering prayer. And I reached out to him and I began dabbling in it. And then I seriously began practicing it in June of 2014. And by seriously beginning the practice, is that like a, like a, you committed yourself to a schedule of I'm going to sit this much time each day kind of a commitment or what was that more? Serious? Exactly. Exactly. So I committed myself to two sits a day of 20 minutes because the I guess the main center in prayer organization, which is the contemplative outreach, um, Actually, a couple of the Trappist monks that created that organization uh, created Centering Prayer in the early 1970s, and they recommended um, as guidelines that you try to practice it twice a day for 20 minutes because you might get derive the most benefit in that matter. So that's what I decided I might as well try as, as well. So I decided I'll, I'll call it, I jumped in the Centering Prayer swimming pool in June of 2014 and decided to try doing it as much as possible twice a day for 20 minutes and, and see what happens. And the results have been pretty powerful. I, I assume by the, uh, by the volume of wisdom that's come flowing through you since then, uh, it's pretty amazing. If you don't mind sharing a little bit more of your background on, on kind of your life journey, were you seeking, you know, had you been grounded in a traditional religion, where were you at uh, in your early life prior to 2013. Okay. Uh, spiritually, so to speak. Now, my mother passed away when I was three and a half. So if she hadn't, we probably would have been Catholic, but we didn't. She passed away and we didn't uh, continue doing it. So I, I, we weren't anything for a while. We went to a Unitarian church for a short while. And then um, on my own, I guess I came across a Baptist youth group a lot of my friends were going to while I was in high school so I started going to a, a Baptist youth group so I didn't join their church but I went to their weekly meetings and then after that I went off to school participated a little bit in I think it was Campus Crusade for Christ maybe the first year when I was at the University of Pittsburgh and then I sort of walked away from it and then at that point I think I kind of just walked away from spirituality for a while and took a break from it and then I, after I graduated, I went into the workforce, and then I ended up joining um, the United Church of Christ. So I came back home, lived with, temporarily with my parents, and at that time, they had joined the United Church of Christ. So I started going with them, and I enjoyed that church. I don't know if you're familiar with them. 
And I actually was, I'm not there now, but I, I spent about 20 years at the United Church of Christ and, and got married in, uh, in the United Church of Christ. And my wife joined the church at the time as well. So I guess United Church of Christ, which is kind of a, I guess, a more progressive liberal um, denomination. Would you, now, uh, go just ahead. curious uh, to, you know, the, I, I've spoken an interview with uh, Universal Unitarians, uh, you, and then the United Church of Christ are are they of a similar philosophy or theology? More of an open interpretation of Scripture. Uh, where where's the? I'm just curious on that one. Sure. No, I think the Unitarians are definitely not United Church of Christ. The United okay. Church of Christ is more of a, a traditional, you know, church with, with a service and, and follow your particular practices and have communion at least once a, a, a month or so. Whereas the Unitarian Church, and this is just with my memory because it was, I was probably 10, 11, 12 at, at the time. I don't even remember. It was, I don't even remember discussing topics related to the new Testament or the old Testament. It was any topic was game and it was more of a gathering. And I'm not saying that's what all of those Unitarian churches do because I I don't think that's the case, but that was my experience. So no, see the Unitarian, my Unitarian experience was very different than, you know, my United Church of Christ, which was basically a, a Protestant non-denominational church that had regular uh, liturgies and things they followed and, and communion once a month and confirmation for children at the, t- at the time as well. I think during, when they were 12, you could be confirmed in, in our church as a member. So uh, very cool. different groups. Yeah. I have had the honor to be um, Involved in uh, several different denominations, I've I've held the title uh, pastor, executive pastor, and this and that. And uh, I, I was not raised with church per se, but when I was in high school, my my best friend that I played hockey with, his family was uh, was Mormon, Latter Day Saints. And in order to catch a ride to go to hockey practice, I had to catch a ride with him, and I went to the Mormon seminary every you know every day before school. And they're studying the Old Testament, New Testament, and then a Book of Mormon, a Great Price, and all this stuff. And I thought, you know, it's like uh, scripture chases and getting into it. And what I found was, even though it wasn't necessarily what I had been taught. I was forming my own opinions about it at that point in time. Uh, there was something remarkable about the connection, the fellowship of people getting together, talking about God. And that, you know, later in, in my military time, I was uh, kind of hell on high wheels. I, I was running hard and, and making a lot of poor decisions. And I was given an ultimatum one day. They said, you're either going to go to the brig or you're going to go to the chaplain's retreats. Because, son, you need to get right with God. And so, I mean, that was a no-brainer. You know, I went to the chaplain's retreat. And through that, I met my wife. We got baptized together. And ultimately, uh, fast forward a little bit of time, and I got heavily involved in the ministry. And so I've studied the Bible uh, profusely. I would listen to the scriptures at night when I was falling asleep. I'd wake up and read the same passage, go jog and and pray uh, because it was life giving to me. And I was sharing that. I used to pray. I don't, you know, nobody to stand uh, within 10 feet of me and not catch on fire for God. And yet there was uh, a journey that I had to go through that was a difficult and painful journey, ultimately, uh, where I fell away from the church or actually turned and walked away from the church. There was a little bit of uh, disagreements about the theology and what was and wasn't uh, God's will 
right? Ultimately for my life. And I always came back, my favorite scriptures in the book of James, James 1.5, if anybody lacks wisdom, let them ask God, who gives to all liberally without reproach, you know, ultimately, but let them ask without wavering and all this good stuff. What that meant to me was that I could ask God in my heart and I could receive an answer. I didn't need a pastor. I didn't even need a book. I just needed to open my heart to God. And when I read, uh, you know, sitting with God, I hear the same spirit of that. And so I'm curious when you were in your uh, away phase, were you in the darker phase of life? I don't know if it was the darkness. I call, I call it going into the wilderness. Uh, what was that like? Were you, were you questioning the traditional teachings? Were you at odds with it or were you just kind of uh, nonchalant about it and didn't really see the need at that point in time? I guess during college, I didn't see the need. But then I think when I graduated and, be, and then began working and then joining the United Church of Christ, I just began. I liked the church, so I was happy with the United Church of Christ. And I was happy with the pastor we had, and I, and I loved her sermons. So I didn't feel threatened by anything she said, and, and it didn't seem it resonated with me. I guess is the best word to say. But then I think on my own, I was doing a lot of exploring and reading uh, different. Um, authors such as N.T. Wright and Marcus Borg and Don, John Dominic Crisson, um, and even even Bart uh, Ehrman, who, who can be somewhat controversial. So I just began exploring, like, who who, who is this God and what, what really is God and who is Jesus and, and why did he die and what really happened on the cross? So I think I was just doing a lot of exploring and, and, and even you know, the Bible is what is the Bible? Is it inerrant or is it, is it, are there mistakes in it and, and contradictions in it, which I, I discovered that, that there were through my readings, but I was okay with that. I began to become comfortable and okay with that. So I think that the exploring more began um, as I was working in the workforce after college and, and kind of continued even up until finding Centering Prayer in 2013, because God that changed God for me. Centering prayer changed God from, for me from above me, looking at me, maybe being critical and judging me and maybe perhaps not being happy with me to being someone that loves me unconditionally, someone that is a strong presence, someone that's always with me and someone that I think of as, you know, within me, which I wasn't thinking of in, in that matter prior to centering prayer, someone that's behind me, pushing me to get out of my comfort zone, someone who's a, holding my hand and walking with me, and then someone who's a few steps ahead of me, pulling me forward. So I, that's now how I think of God. So God has changed for me as a result of my exploration and probably mainly centering prayer at this point. Oh, man. My heart is welling up right now. It brings me joy to hear these words uh, to, to share a similar story. I want to back up for just a sec to the to the scripture for just a minute. Um, I don't like to, you know, to get into debate and all that kind of stuff. But since you offered uh, that, that scripture was, you know, you found that there were discrepancies, myself included. As I was going through, there was a point in time where the church was telling me one thing and I was feeling in my intuition or in my heart, like God was leading me in a different direction. There was a little bit of back and forth with this. And so I started thinking about what do I know about God in the sense of, you know, in the, in the traditional Christian context? Well, it's all coming from this book, you know, the story of Jesus and all this kind of stuff. And I had studied so much. I started you know, there's enough in my head, so to speak, that I could keep uh, multiple stories in my mind at the same time. I started thinking, well, 
wait a second. Now, how did Judas die again? You know what I mean? There's, there are two totally different stories. One in the gospel, one in the book of Acts. One is, you know, Judas uh, felt so guilty. You know, he went in he cast the money down into the temple and then he went out and he hung himself and then they call it the field of blood. And then the other is that, you know, uh, he went out and spilled his guts asunder. There was a, and they took the money and went and bought the field of blood. Anyway, I, it's a really rough paraphrase there, but essentially these are two different stories. You can dig into the, to the Greek and get into it. And it's just not the same. And those are, that's just one of many uh, discrepancies. So clearly I could not intellectually accept this was the inerrant word of God. And so, you know, I had to step away and say, wow, this is, uh, let me take a step back, go back to my, my contemplative roots growing up in Alaska, which was just going out into nature and seeing God all around, really being immersed in the presence of God, which is something that I hadn't felt so much in the church, but I had that connection in the fellowship. So it was, it was really, um, I don't know, it was just eye-opening for me to take that step back and realize, wait a minute, maybe I don't have to take these stories so literal, but it was a long time before I came back around to that. Something in your write-up you had, uh, I noticed was the, and you just mentioned it, recovering the Christian mystic roots. And I would love it if you could uh, expound upon that, the mystic roots. Talk about that a little bit. Share with me what you've learned. Um, and I guess I learned it from Amos Smith, you know, from reading his book. Um, really, just that um, Jesus was a mystic and, and silent prayer is, is something that goes all the way back, not just to the desert mothers and fathers, but it goes goes back to Jesus. I mean, we don't know exactly how he prayed, but he went off alone to, to pray and he got away from the crowds and he, and he fasted. And, and Amos can kind of mentions in his book, or I've heard him talk that if you're going to fast, you got to conserve your energy. So you're, you're not probably moving a lot and you're probably not doing a whole lot of talking. So we surmise he did some type of silent prayer. So I guess people don't realize that silent prayer goes all the way back to Jesus and then comes all the way forward through, I guess, through a lot of Eastern Christianity um, in the desert mothers and fathers, and then to the present through, you know, Thomas Merton and contemplative outreach organization, Thomas Keating, Richard Rohr, and, and many others. It comes all the way to the present, but it's not thought of as being, I guess, part of the church, part of Christianity when it it strongly influenced, I guess, Eastern, the Eastern Christianity, you, you can call it. Yeah. Yeah. When you say Eastern Christianity, how would you contrast Eastern Christianity with Western Christianity? Um, probably just more of a contemplative approach that God, it, God is within us. And I don't think they necessarily think we're God, but God is in us and, and we're in sitting in silence and divine, which is kind of a hard topic to discuss, but divine unions and, and our, we're, we're in union with God. So I, I think maybe the biggest difference is it's instead of rules and things we need to do, it's more of a contemplative approach that God is within us and connecting to God within us um, through various forms of prayer, including silent prayer. Awesome. Yeah, I think that that, that uh, the trajectory in Western traditional Christianity through the canonization of Scripture, Council of Trent, I mean, you get into all, into all that kind of stuff. You look at how the Bible was compiled and put together, uh, including, you know, the Old Testament, New Testament. I mean, there's just a lot of 
well, one room for human error and then interpretation, but the amount of the, the stories that are told now or the scriptures as they're held now and commonly taught now are not inclusive of all of the scripture that was uh, once considered holy scripture or inspired scripture. And I think that there has been a divorce from the need to, you know, really look at it objectively, open it up. And instead of being, say, what do you think about this? It's, it's what should you think about this? It's telling people what to think about the scriptures instead of allowing each person's heart to commune with God and interpret it for themselves, you know, which I think is, is kind of how I see it. Uh, when you were are on that project, uh, the uh, recovering the, the mystic roots, was there anything uh, along with the centering prayer that stood out to you? Um, I guess what he called the Jesus paradox, you know, Jesus just being God and human at once. So that those are the two things that jumped out of me as I read his book was the silent prayer practice of centering prayer and how powerful it can be. And then just the Jesus paradox that Jesus is God and human at once. And that... uh, there's varying views of him. There's views of him as a, a great prophet and, and a great human being, or there's views at, of him being God. When um, in his book, he taught, according to, I guess, the Eastern Christians is that Jesus was at once God and human, and you really can't separate the two. And that's what made Jesus who he is. And then that we are, you know, we're God and human, but we're not God in that I'm God, but there's the divine image within me and I connect to it during centering prayer. So we, like Jesus, um, are human and God with a small D, you know, my small D inner divinity is connecting to the big D during centering prayer. Um, and, and I think Richard Rohr has some type of quote along that lines where you know, th- what it means to follow Jesus is, is to realize that you're human and, and divine like Jesus was as well. Mm, mm. Yeah. There's a scripture that says when, G- when Christ says, you know, I am in you as the father is in me. You know what I mean? And I always took that, that God is within me. You know, I didn't, interpret it any different. I don't see it as there's a separation between me and God. It's that God is in me and around me and immersing in me and expressing as me. You know, I, I see us as all, you know, infinite facets or fractions of God, if you will, small d divinity. You know, there is a divine spark in each of us. You know what I mean? I say, I tell people all the time, we're incredible cosmic creatures. You know, we have the ability to create and to destroy, but ultimately to manifest, almost magically manifest our intentions in a material world. Uh, And is this not co-creating? You know, we are co-creating with the divine force, the cosmos, God, good old divinity. I like uh, like acronyms, but that's how I define God as good old divinity. I believe that God uh, exceeds our comprehension necessarily. You know, like it's beyond... You know, our finite cognition, we can we can crunch it, we can throw labels at it. But each time we do, we begin to reduce God, make it small so that we can understand. And yet in the silence of the centering prayer and other modalities, my understanding of it is that we we let go of those labels a little bit. And in the letting go and in the silence, there is space now for a deeper understanding of God, a deeper connection with God. Is that, is that kind of how you understand it or how how does that resonate? 
No, I mean, that's what we do in Centering Prayer. We, we let go. Uh, we let God be God, I like to think of it as. Instead of defining God or naming God, we let God be God when we sit in the silence of Centering Prayer. Now, should I quickly describe for you, your community, like, what is Centering Prayer? Since we've, talked, we've been talking about it, and they're probably wondering, well, how do you do it? So, Absolutely. Go for let it. Let me just quickly give a quick history of it and how you do it. So I don't remember if I said it at the beginning or not. Center in Prayer was created in the early 1970s by by three Trappist monks. And it was more of a reaction to they saw transcendental meditation going on and they wanted something for the Christian community. So they created Centering Prayer in the early 1970s. In fact, I think it was 1974. <laughs> They kind of just, William Manager discovered the method in the cloud of unknowing, which is an old Christian classic book. But And then the practice itself is you sit comfortably with your eyes closed. And then to begin your practice, you introduce a sacred word of one, two, or three syllables. So it could be love, ocean, Jesus, God. It could be really any word you want to choose. And that signifies you're beginning your silent time and you're opening to the presence and actions of God within. And then how you do the practices whenever you engage your thought, meaning whenever you begin thinking about what you're going to do when you get up from your sit, or you think about things you were doing before your sit, that means you're engaging your thoughts. You let go of that. You reintroduce the sacred word, let go of your engaged thoughts, bring that sacred word back to your mind, and then even let go of the sacred words. So you're not using it as a mantra. You're just using it to gently let go of your engaged thoughts and bring yourself back to the present moment and open to the presence and actions of God within. And then you just do this when needed during your centering prayer sit. So, so that's basically how you do centering prayer. And the only other thing I'll say is you don't have to use a word. If you're an auditory person, you might choose a word. I quickly discovered I'm more of a visual person. So I use, I picture an interior image and then some people are physical and they want to use their breath. And then others are afraid they might fall asleep during centering prayer, perhaps. So they keep their eyes open and stare at a certain spot, four or five feet in the, in the distance and use that. So you can use a couple different, what I'll call sacred methods and, rather than just a word, but that's essentially a little history of centering prayer and, and how you do it. And the say, and the sacred method is not a mantra. So, because there are mantra practices right. um, and actually Christian meditation is one. And, and I'm assuming there's many other, even non-Christian mantra based. So the centering prayer is not mantra. It's just use the word when needed and then let go of it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's thank you for the description uh, and the process. And I, I do think that it is you know, I, I talk about the magic of mantra, you know, the, using a repetitive word or a sound to help train the brain. What I hear in, in your distinction is that it's not a mantra. You're using the sound of the word or you're using the visualization or the focal point simply to interrupt your ceaseless stream of thought and bring it back to the present moment where you can release it and create space again for that divine contemplation. Is that, is that fairly an accurate understanding? No, no, it is actually. And then, and, and I do coaching and I have some, some people have tried centering prayer and they said it doesn't work for them. They need more of a mantra. So I will steer them toward that. So I, I like to re I recommend to people, you know, find a practice that resonates well with you and then stick with it and dig deep in that well. So if centering prayer works, great. If a more of a mantra based works, that's fine too. You have, you have to do what makes the most sense, you know, for you. 
I'm curious what, you know, I I see across the board throughout uh, the different spiritual practices, the different uh, wisdom traditions, whether it's Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, you know, all of this. There's an aspect of each that has to do with uh, a human being working with the mind, right? Like we're not just the mind. And so we have to learn how to train the brain or train the mind so that we can see past it or see through it, perhaps. I don't know if that's the right way of capturing that, but I'm curious in, in your experience, is, is it, uh, how much of it is mental work and how much of it is spiritual work or how would you describe that? Um, it's kind of a blend of both, I guess, because obviously our minds are always working. So sometimes we have a lot of racing thoughts during centering prayer maybe other times we we don't. I mean, I think the spirit's always working. It's just the idea is to remove the barriers to, to God, remove the barriers to the spirit. And one way to do that is, is with a sacred method or, or obviously with a mantra as well, where you're just getting yourself and your ideas and your ego and your thoughts and your emotions out of the way and sitting as much as possible in, uh, I guess, the pure presence of, of, of God. Beautiful words. Yeah. The pure presence of God. I, I think of them, of my mind, I think of my mind personally as an unruly beast, (laughs) you know, it's always romping around, you know, craving distraction and everything else. Uh, But the mind oftentimes I I express it as a house of mirrors, right up in the mind. We, we have projections, we have labels, we have, you know, distorted perception. And if that's the way that we're trying to see life and receive, I guess, divine presence or commune with divine presence, I think we're at a loss. When you say that the the spirit is always working, I'm, it makes me think of awareness. I, you know, I think of spiritual awareness. That's the faculty that lies within us deeper than the mind. It's what enables us to be aware of the mind. And I see, uh, contemplative meditation and this kind of thing as, as spiritual exercise, so to speak, I'm, I'm exercising my awareness. And as I exercise my awareness, I harness my mind. I cause it to focus and to soften and ultimately to diffuse the mental chatter so that I can be more attuned at the deeper level. Is that, uh, with that in mind or within that, you know, sharing that experience, can you describe to me your personal experience in in contemplation, having practiced it long enough now? You know, can you describe what it's like for you? Um, well, I guess the practice itself, nothing's supposed to happen because really I'm just letting go and opening to the presence and actions of God within. So if I begin planning and plotting, or even thinking to myself, "Boy, this feels wonderful," I'm not really practicing centering prayer. So I even let go of that peace and whatever I'm feeling, but it's, but it's more outside of the practices is where I notice the, the, the fruits of the practice. And I know, I think if centering prayer is a reverse prayer, God is praying in me what I need for even that very day as I get up from my sit and move through the day. Um, so I, I think of centering prayers, I'm connecting to my true self, I'm getting all the clutter out of the way and connecting to my true self. And what are the actions God wants me to take um, 
and do that very day. Or, or it, it could be as simple as God just wants to give me some inner peace because God knows I'm anxious at that moment, or God is feeding me some wisdom for a task that I need to do later that day. But if I don't get all of my other thoughts and emotions and racing thoughts out of the way, I, I can't pick up on uh, on the inner peace and I can't pick up on some inner wisdom or I, or I don't have the guts that God might be nudging me to do things. So, so I guess I'll say my center word practice has, has moved me to do things I never would have imagined, you know, such as, you know, I, I have a, I, I began working with Amos Smith when I began practicing center in prayer. So I worked with him off of his website, but then since then I, you know, it spawned my, my site, silenceteaches.com, which then I just sort of continued to be open to what does God want? And it evolved into, you know, a weekly meditation off my site. It evolved to coaching people, teaching in the community with larger groups uh, and the book that, that came out, you know, the writing of a book. And then that has created other, you know, a lot of interesting speaking opportunities, whether it's podcasts such as this, or just being invited to speak in front of different groups of, of people. So I centering prayer really has just opened me up to what does God want me to do and, and get rid of things such as fear that, no, I can't do this or fear that I'm not ready to do it, or I don't have the right skill set, or this is just something I shouldn't even try. I can let go all, all of all of that and, and just trust and, and go. <laughs> That's beautiful. Is a faith without actions or faith without works is dead, right? I mean, if we're not if we're not doing, then what are we? You know, we can be being, and I think that that's a big part of the centering prayer is just being present. But that fills up the cup, right? So these fruits, uh, you know, fruits of the spirit. Uh, can you explain that a little bit? Just, I mean, I know you kind of, you kind of just touched on it, but for somebody that's not familiar with the concept of fruits of the spirit, what, what does that mean to you in your own words? Sure. I mean, these are things I've noticed. And I think so as anyone that practices any type of meditation or contemplative practice, as they continue to do it, I think they'll notice it's changed them. So I, I can speak for myself when I look at myself pre, or if I compare myself pre-centering prayer to post-centering prayer. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a different person. I, I'm, I'm a calmer person. I have more inner peace. I'm, I'm less reactive. So I'm more willing to listen rather than get in a, an argument or fight with someone. And I'm still work in progress in that area, but I think I'm, I'm less reactive. I'm a lot more confident. I'm more willing to get out of my comfort zone and move and do and try new things. And I also receive, I think I receive wisdom for tasks because, because I do two sits a day. And a lot of times after my second sit, I'll begin working on a task at work that was kind of troubling me and I didn't know how to handle. And, and the solution kind of pops into my head. Or I've even had solutions pop into my head like on the weekend. I remember a couple months ago, I, I had an issue at work and I just didn't know how the best way to attack it. And I was driving home. I just dropped my daughter off at Wawa and I was driving home and I wasn't even thinking about work and the solution popped into my head as I was driving home. And then when I got home, I quickly wrote it down and, and checked it out and it did work and I didn't continue working. But so things like that, I think have begun happening as a result of centering prayer. And I, and I tell people, you know, I think the fruits of their practice will be unique for them and what God knows they need and, and, and when they need it. I think God is patient with us and continuously gives us what we need. It's up to us if we're open to it. Yeah. 
Yeah, if we're open to it. Yeah, that's a big one. Uh, what do you think on the note of being open versus, I mean, closed for a lack of a better word? What, what do you think keeps keeps a human, a person closed? I would say um, doubt or fear. I mean, fear is a big one. We're, we're afraid to try something new or we don't think we have the right skill set to, to do something. We, we think we're too young and someone older, more experienced should be doing it. Or we think we're too old and that's something for a younger person or I don't have the right skill set. When the reality is, I mean, I think you just start where you're at and you really just need to know the next step. And then the path continues to become clear as you keep taking steps. So you don't, you don't have to know how to get to the end, but you just need to know, I want to do this and I think I want to do it. And, and I just need to know, well, what is the next step to take? But So I think fear, fear is probably the biggest thing that stops people from doing, doing things and trying things and getting out of their comfort zone. Fear of the unknown and fear that people will make fun of them perhaps when the reality is most people are, I think people are so busy doing their own thing. We think everybody's watching us and everybody's just doing their own thing and we're not really being watched. And I tell my kids that they're, they get worried a lot and I'm like, nobody's really watching you. They're all doing their own thing. It's not that they don't care about you, but everybody's living their life. They don't notice if you've done something and made a mistake, they're not even going to notice it. <laughs> And that's what a relief, right? What a relief. And so it's awesome that you're teaching your kids that because it's so true, you know, like, oh my gosh, how's my hair? Nobody cares. <laughs> you know, right. they're worried about their own hair, for example, you know? Uh, yeah, that's so true. Fear, doubt, worry, all of that. Uh, the anecdote to which I consider to be faith, uh, you know, loosely, I, I like to use acronyms again, faith is following an intuitive trusting heart. So faith gives the ability for me to trust that my heart's leading me in this direction. I trust that the universe conspires that, that, you know, the hand of Providence, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And yeah, I'm, I'm wondering how you would define faith at this point in your walk. What does faith mean to you? Faith for me just means um, I can trust I think I can just I can trust that God is always with me. So I, I think when I when I'm afraid, that's when I forget that God is with me. So faith for me really at this point is is just remembering that God is always with me and I'm not walking this path alone, whatever the path is. So if it's trying something new or or I'm sick and I, and I or I'm or I have to go to the doctor and, and handle a situation. Faith for me is just remembering God is always with me and, and will walk this path with me. That is a beautiful answer. What you said that fear is when I forget that God's there. I don't know if that's what you said. Uh, that is powerful. I just want to let that set for a second. Fear is when I forget that God's there. We're never alone. We're never disconnected. We may feel alone. We may feel disconnected. But in reality, we are always intimately and intricately connected to the essence of everything that is. But ultimately, we are in the presence of God, or we have the ability to come into the presence of God in any moment and in an instant, just like that. But 
we have to get out of the head and into the heart, right? And in order to do that, it helps to have some practice. And maybe the centering prayer is the practice for some people listening today if they don't have a practice. But I think that each person uh, has to find their own path in that regard. And I'm, I'm wondering when, uh, one of the quotes in the book was that depression is a result of being separated from your true self. Depression is a result of being separated from your true self. And I read that and I thought, this is good because there's so much anxiety and I would say fear or forgetting that God's not the God's present. Right. But this depression, uh, what, what was your journey on discovering true self? And can you just speak to that a little bit about why depression is causing this disconnect and what was the exact quote was uh, being separated from oneself. Can, can you share a little bit about that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think when we forget who we are and we, when we forget that God, God is within us, then we get worried and anxious and, and depressed. And, and sometimes that can go on a lot longer um, than we want it, want it to. So, I mean, I think it's really as, as simple as, as that, I mean, I, I think when we forget who we are, and when we forget that God is within us, and when we forget to try to act from our true self on a daily basis, we we become depressed because we don't perhaps know who we are any anymore. And, and I and I even liken it to I, I had taken about a two and a half. I think it was in two two thousand nine. I I left the workforce to be a stay at home dad just to to help my daughter needed some extra care and my wife, we just made a decision that I would step out of the workforce and, and then my wife would continue working. And I, I, I actually became depressed because I, I guess I had associated my identity with work and then I, I became very depressed and I didn't know who, who I was. I, I guess I almost wish I had centering prayer back then, but I hadn't discovered centering prayer then. So I didn't know who I was. And now I, now I know with centering prayer, who I am, that, 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 uh, you know, I'm loved by God and my true self is the person God wants me to be. And it's not wrapped up. It's wrapped up in, it's not wrapped, it's wrapped up in a lot of things. So it's not just work for me was my identity and it depressed me. I felt like I had no more identity, but now I think if, if I had practiced centering prayer prior to that, I probably would not have become depressed or as depressed because I would have realized my true identity is, is in God and, and my true self is the person I'm supposed to be. And the person I was supposed to be at that time was a, a stayed home dad. It, so I would say a contemplative practice really connects you to your true self and, and can help you remove depression because you realize who you are, um, who, who you are. You realize you're, you're loved by God and, and your true self is whoever you're meant to be that day. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's something uh, about the illusion of imperfection. You know, we have these roles these labels that we put on ourselves, you know, I'm a this or I'm a that, I'm a businessman, I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, and when all of a sudden maybe life circumstances change, we don't have that same set of labels. It's the who am I again? And the ego may scramble to create more new labels that make us feel good about ourselves. But underneath all of that is just, it's an uncertainty and an unknowing. 
and not knowing who we truly are on the inside. And I think that this is something that uh, many people live the majority of their lives. I, I would, you know, it's sad, but true. I think many people go through their entire life without really getting deep into the who am I underneath all of the thoughts and all of the labels. And that I think leads to that depression. I think a depression like darkness and uh, what came to mind when you were sharing that was, you know, in, in the darkness, just like the dark of night, the dawn will come in the darkness of depression. And for me, I've been there. I was broken by, you know, chronic pain and all this kind of stuff. And, and the, who am I? I'm trapped in a broken body and I can't do these things. And I just, it crushed my spirit. But in that darkness, something else woke up. The spirit within me woke up. And through discipline practice and, you know, time invested, you know, the journey grew back up from there. But I've experienced, and I'm curious, uh, I guess I want to ask you first, you know, what have you, have you experienced? light of the soul or light of the mind and your contemplative prayer. Uh, does that, that resonate? And if you don't know what I mean, then I'll, I'll share a little story with you and see. I was, yeah. I don't, I, yeah. If you could share what, what you mean by that to help me understand. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So in, uh, in meditation, when I, when I was broken, uh, I was at a point in life where I was not, I was uh, not, atheist by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but I was definitely not religious. I had had enough of that. I was done with it. Uh, somebody had introduced me to yoga. I was really getting into yoga and studying the, the, the yoga sutras a lot. And in the yoga sutras, it talks about uh, self-study, self-discipline and surrender to God. These are the heart of a yogi. And I was like, self-discipline. I got that, you know, uh, self-study. I'm all over it. Uh, but surrender to God. What does that mean? And I was contemplating this through meditation, I was laying in a dark room, flat on my back, focusing on my breath work, using my breath to, you know, yoke my mind to my body, the somatic experience, and then, you know, letting the mind rest in the heart center, opening up my awareness from there. And in that experience was, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, a brilliant white light, right? Like, boom, like all of a sudden the light of the mind shined, you know, or the divine spark. It would, it was almost as if, uh, I could feel or perceive God shining through me. And in that was such an awakening. And it was a very elate, elating experience. Like, you know, it was energizing. It fired me up. I, I couldn't believe it because here I was in this dark place literally dark in the room, but I was in a dark place in life too. And I was contemplating surrender to God. And then, you know, this spark and it, it's difficult to put words to, but I've, I've experienced it more than once. And I've, I've met others that have experienced it. Uh, this light of the mind kind of a deal, uh, light of the awareness, light of the soul. And I was wondering if in contemplative, uh, in, in the centering prayer, if you've ever experienced anything like that. I would say I have, and not necessarily during a practice, but I remember a couple of years back, I went up to New York City a day early. I went up on a Sunday and I had a work meeting the next day. Um, and I remember getting to the hotel and then I remember just walking because I love New York City. And this was pre-COVID. I think this was 2017 or so. And I remember just walking the blocks 
And I ended up sitting in, in Union Park in New York City. And then all of a sudden, life was, and New York's loud anyhow, but it wasn't just the sounds of New York City. I just, and I remember even after, and I'll share the experience, but after it, I remember calling Amos to say, you know, I had to talk to someone about this. Anybody else would have thought I was crazy, but I was sitting in a chair in Union Park and I just felt like life was vibrating all around me and coming at me so strong. And, and I didn't know what was going on and it was good and it lasted and I, and it was neat. And then it was overwhelming and I didn't know when it would end. And I got a little anxious and nervous. And I think it was just, I don't know what it was other than I never experienced something like that where life was just vibrating and coming at me powerfully and strongly. And I'm not even probably, and I mentioned it in the book and I'm not probably putting great words to it, but something happened that day and it was powerful and life was coming at me at, at, at all, <laughs> at all places. And then, and then it ended after 15 or 20 minutes. And then I called Amos to say, I'll call you because you'll believe me, but anybody else would have thought I was crazy. Yeah. So probably something like that is what you're saying, where I was experiencing maybe all of as much of God wanted me to experience of life for a while until I'd had enough and he shut it off <laughs> or lowered it. <laughs> that is awesome. Thank you for sharing that experience, Rich. Yeah. Would you say that that was a, do you think retrospectively that that was a, a byproduct of being open? Like you were just so open in that moment you could absorb or, or what? No, I would definitely say that. I think a practice such as centering prayer allows you to open um, to God and the presence of God wherever uh, God is. Because I think of Thomas Keating said something along the lines that, you know, if God gave you as much of God that he wants to, you'd be you'd be burnt to a crisp, which is kind of a so God wants to give us as much of God as, as possible, as much of life as possible. And it's a, it's a matter of you know how much of it can we take? So I think maybe that one day, at least I was given a much bigger dose of it than I'm normally used to. <laughs> did that, did it, did it change your perspective or your relationship or your walk with God at all? Um, I, I guess it never reflected back. I, I mean, it's had to, I, I, but I, I can't say that it has. And I had one other experience and I don't remember if it was before that or after that. And it was simply in our cul-de-sac. And I remember my kids were out there and I was throwing a ball with the one kid and the other kid was just riding her. It was my daughter. I was throwing a ball with her and I, my son was just riding his bike around the cul-de-sac. And I remember all of a sudden it just got super bright and I knew I was properly hydrated and I, and I knew, you know, I, I, I I wasn't sick and I wasn't going to pass out, but it was like super bright and it was really weird. And then it, it, I don't remember how long that lasted and then, and then it ended. So it was a slightly different experience in New York. It was more loud and vibrant in the cul-de-sac. It was just bright, but not like I'm going to pass out because I'm, because I, because I'm not hydrated. I didn't feel you know sick. I didn't feel like I was going to pass out. It was a different experience. So not sure what God was, which I, I guess it was two different types. More was loud and vibrant. And the other one was just super bright. <laughs> and yeah. I guess I maybe I should journal both of them. Like what, what was really going on there? Or I never really put pen to paper other than what I shared in, in the book about both of them. Yeah. yeah. That that's so, it's such a special experience and it's such a unique experience. I think for each person to have, those few peaks, you know, whether you think about like a mountaintop peak experience or like a peak behind the curtain kind of experience, 
you know, but those moments where the impression and the presence of God is, is so intense, you know, it's, it, it can be overwhelming. Like you say, at some point it's like, Whoa, you know, Whoa, you know, I want to go back to the comfort of being a human for a moment. You know what I mean? But for just a split second or however that timeless moment lasts, there's just, there's something so I don't have a word for it. Divine, I guess, is the word. You know, that is the divine connection in my in my mind, in my understanding. And that is what I believe every single person on the planet is craving. You know, we're seeking that. We need that. That's what nourishes our soul. That's what makes us know that we're whole and complete. And as you've said, that we're loved by God, you know, children of God, expressions of God, fragments of God, you know, pick your pick your uh, terminology on that one. But ultimately, there is something so fantastic and special about being alive, about being me, about you being you and each person being who they were born to be. We need to have that. And people are seeking that as ever before. I think we cannot help but to do that. And while I, you know, openly acknowledge that, you know, people are seeking that, I see a lot of people tossing the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, as far as uh, traditional religions. You know, they think, ah, you know, traditional religions, the earth's not flat. God did not create the world in seven days, six days and rest. You know, God didn't put all the animals in the ark. Therefore, I don't need God. And they just kind of chuck the whole story out, thinking that, oh, you know, I'm woke. You know, I'm intellectual. I don't need God. And it hurts my heart when I hear people come from that perspective because they're missing out on a richness of life, the experience like you had in New York, uh, experiences like I've enjoyed in nature. Why do you think people are so quick to kind of callously disregard traditional religion, particularly Christianity? Um, I, I, I guess when it becomes more rules based or who, who's when it threatens them, when, when it's who's in, who's out, when it's exclusive and, and when it's more uh, rules based rather than experience based. So, so I think people are looking more for an experience, not not for rules on how they need to conduct themselves. So they want to experience God rather than know if I do A, B, C, D, E, you know, God's going to be happy with me or the church church is going to be happy with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that thinking is, 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 definitely go, is definitely going on. One of the words that you said there was exclusive or exclusionary even. And that's been one of the beefs. You know, I hear people when they're venting about why they uh, maybe they abhor Christianity, like, oh my gosh, there's nothing good that could possibly come out of the church. Why? Well, because, you know, Jesus says that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody goes to the Father except for by me. Basically, nobody can have a relationship without Jesus Christ. And if they don't accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, then they're going to burn in hell forever. And people flatly reject that because that's highly exclusive. And if you're willing, if you'd like to to talk to that, what would you say to somebody that was presenting that perspective? How would you how would you address that? How would you help coach them back to maybe the centering prayer? But but just take it from there, if you will. Sure. No, and it's funny that you say that because a friend of mine wrote, uh, is published self-publishing a book kind of on this very topic, and he asked me to write the forward of his book. So. Um, 
I guess, you know, the, I guess the first thing I tell people is, and he kind of mentioned it in his book is, you know, the way Christianity was from the beginning was more contemplative. It wasn't Jesus standing on the corner saying, you have to believe in me or you're going to, to hell. It was more of a connect with God, connect to God within and more of a contemplative path. You know, this has has been more predominant the last two or three hundred years, as as I understand it. It wasn't the way Christianity always was. So something happened. I don't know exactly what it was. I'm not an expert at it. But two or three hundred years ago, this path came into being and took a lot of people. And they thought this is how you become a Christian, and you're in or you're out. When historically, if you look back, going all the way back to Jesus, and then even then coming down a hundred, you know, a couple hundred years or more, it wasn't always this way. It changed two or 300 years ago. So I guess that's what I would share with people is that, you know, it, this is new, a new interpretation, but this is not the original in, interpretation that was passed down. If I'm making sense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and just to, to paraphrase, to make sure I'm understanding uh, what what you're saying is that the Christianity, as it's packaged and presented in modern culture for the last several hundred years, is not the wisdom tradition of Christianity. It's not the it's not the truth as it was originally taught. And so now we've got more structure, more rules. I mean, there have been structure and rules for thousands of years. I mean, we you know, uh, Abrahamic covenants and such and all that. But ultimately, the uh, the reality of the story is powerful. Whether somebody looks at it as metaphor or somebody looks at it as, as divinely inspired truth, there is a powerful, powerful truth in the story of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died as a propitiation for our sins. In, and so the story goes, right? What is that saying exactly? It's saying that, you know, we don't have to be perfect to have a connection with God. And if you just took that one thing away, you don't have to be a monk sitting in a monastery for 30 years to have a connection with God. You don't have to be a Catholic priest or go to confession every week to have a relationship with God. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to read the Bible. You don't have to do anything but get out of your head and into your heart, open up and create space and experience for yourself the divine connection of God. That is my, my interpretation of it. And, uh, and I just, I think that that's a really great way of coming at it for those who are, are skeptical. I say, if you, if you never experienced God before, go to a church where you've got a thousand people or just a few hundred people standing and singing a praise song, worshiping God, hands in the air, tears rolling down the cheeks. You will feel the presence of God. Now, I've got a book called The Biology of Belief. You know, it really breaks down what spiritual experience is at the physiological level. That's a fascinating study. So there's 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 similarity in chanting in a temple or singing praise songs in a church or sitting in a sweat lodge. You know, there's there's similar things going on in the in the in our organism, in our biology. But ultimately, we're all seeking that. And so if we're just tossing the baby out with the bathwater, we're missing an opportunity to connect and engage. And more importantly, I think that it creates conflict uh, between, you know, different sections of society. And that's an unfortunate reality that 
obviously we have to live with. But if we're to get past that, I do believe that the anecdote to uh, political chaos is an elevation of spiritual awareness. This uh, spiritual growth is so critical right now in history, critical as it's ever been. And the centering prayer, as you've so eloquently spoken of it, is I think a very solid first step for a lot of people. So with that transitioning here toward the end, you have written a book and you offer services as I understand it. Can you tell us about your book, about your services and where people can connect with you to learn more? Sure. I mean, the best place to find me is my website, silenceteaches.com. So when you subscribe to my website, you, you'll get my free, it's a short ebook on Centering Prayer. So if you want to just learn a little bit more about Centering Prayer, um, you can subscribe and then you'll get the, it's like a 10, 12 page ebook that the, the top of it is a question and then it answers a question. And then if you want to further explore Centering Prayer on my site is my book, um, Sitting with God, A Journey to Your True Self Through Centering Prayer, which really is meant for the everyday person. It's not an academic book, and it teaches you what is centering prayer. It, ta it talks a little bit about my theology and, and where I'm at with God. And then it talks how centering prayer has healed and transformed me. And I think it can do the same for you if, if you try it. So that's a little bit about the, the book. And then, and then other things that I do, for, I offer coaching. So some people want help to begin a practice. So I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching. Some people are already practicing and they want to go deeper in their practice or they want to connect to their true self and who is this person. And we talk a lot about that in coaching. And then there seems to be a third group of people that I've been coaching as well, which is neat, is people in ministry who realize that they are terrible at self-care and they're burning themselves out because all they're doing is taking care of others. So they come to me and they want help with their own self-care. So I offer uh, coaching. And, th and then I've been doing um, a lot of speaking. So I speak in front of uh, small churches, large churches, a lot of it via Zoom now. Spiritual director groups have asked me to speak, so I've been doing a lot of speaking as well. So those are some of the things you'll, you'll find on my website, depending upon what your interest is. Awesome. Well, I appreciate everything that you are bringing into the world right now or that God is bringing into the world through you. Uh, it is... Uh, it's refreshing. This connection, this conversation has been awesome. I've really enjoyed the heck out of it. And I feel like I could talk to you for another hour. I do want to be respectful for your time. Uh, a final question. SilenceTeaches.com. That's your website, right? What, what is perhaps the most profound or top of mind lesson that silence has taught you personally? It has taught me that I, that I need centering prayer to connect to my true self and that it's, that it's not an end point, but it's a journey. So silence really has taught me what, what do I need? What's my next step? It continues to teach me what is the next step that I need to be taking in my life. Awesome. 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 Well, Rich, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure and I'll make sure to put the links in the bio and Maybe have you back on the show to continue this conversation sometime down the line. And with that, thank you. Thank you very much for being here. I hope you have a wonderful day. No, thanks for having me on. And I'd love to come back in the future. So thank you very much. Take care. Oh, my goodness. What a conversation. <laughs> I mean, just wow. How much was there 
to take in from that, just substance to chew on. The idea of following Jesus, meaning uh, to to awaken and realize our own divinity and humanity that God is within us. And I, I just think there was so much insight, deep spiritual insight that is coming from uh, a background, obviously a background, Rich's background in Christianity, and and yet the universal truths contained in that, the parts of human experience that need and that craving to connect with God, how we can cultivate that connection with God and how we can create space for that connection, that divine communion, that divine presence, the pure presence of God by entering into the silence, by using the silent prayer, uh, the centering prayer. And I just, uh, yeah, so <laughs> I'm just, I'm taking it all in, I'm chewing on it, and I just, I want to say that if you have uh, any questions about the Centering Prayer or how to enter in the silence, please look Rich up, silenceteaches.com, the link is in the, in the bio there, uh, in the write-up, and also please... Please, please uh, like and subscribe to the Soul Path Podcast. Share this conversation with your friends because there's more good stuff coming and it's just awesome. If you have any questions, drop them in the comments below. You can always reach out to me. If you've got a story you'd like to share about your own spiritual journey, please uh, reach out, connect. I'm always looking to uh, have more outstanding conversations. But with that, friends, please take this to heart. Spend some time in silence. Enjoy connecting with your true self. And I will look forward to connecting with you again soon. Bye.